This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday Night Sex Show here on CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Uh, we've got lots coming up in this hour of the program. We are going to be talking to a divorce coach uh, in about the second half around 930 this evening. Uh, we're going to be talking about relationship killers, things that you might be doing that you may not even be aware of. I've got a couple of stories for you as well, little educational stories that may resonate with you and you might think, yeah, this is my life too. And, uh, oh, there is help for me. I'm not necessarily alone. As you know, I did a TEDx talk uh, and it's on YouTube. It's called the No Sex Marriage Masturbation, Cheating, Loneliness and Shame. I generally advise anybody who's giving a TED talk and they ask me, you know, for my advice. And I say, well, you know, even if it's about potholders, just use masturbation in the title and you'll get at least 9 million views, I'm sure. Uh, so <laughs> that is my best wisdom. Uh, that is the best thing that I can, uh, my best advice. Um, but also, but you know, uh, recently a fellow, a friend of mine who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, he's in this business, and he said that some friends of his were actually on the brink of divorce, and he sent them to that TEDx talk, which I was honored about. Uh, and he said they realized that they weren't alone. They were not the only ones in a sexless marriage. In fact, 20% of people experience sexless marriage, and that's sex less than 10 times a year. So they are actually now working on their relationship, which I was so delighted to hear, because that's really what this show is about. I'm just trying to help you, educate you, inform you. And uh, one of the things that uh, you may or may not have first and foremost on your mind, but you might, depends what your gender is, but uh, no, um, you may not know, may or may not know about Hollow Girls, but Hollow Girls is here in Vancouver, and uh, Hollow Girls does a lot of... Uh, movie work, shall we say, and some virtual reality work as well. And um, so in the studio right now joining me, I have a couple of porn stars. Welcome to the studio, Sam. Hi. How are you? And Shreds? Hi, thank you. Nice to have the two of you. Now, I was thinking of being a porn star myself, you know, but it wasn't an option on career day at the parochial school that I went to. It's no. still an option <laughs> for you. It's still an option. Yeah, I don't think oh, yeah. so. <laughs> they would take one look at me and be like, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, we don't actually hire no, peaches and cream. No, I actually do casting. I would hire you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, great. I need a blonde bombshell. Okay. <laughs> I think we'd make one hell of a scene. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, well, enough of that. Uh, so, yes. Uh, but there's, there, you know, big job market here. Things are changing here in Vancouver. In fact, the porn industry has changed quite a bit. And um, we're no longer seeing as much, uh, you know, peep shows, if you will, or the kind, mm -hmm. kind of people aren't going to the clubs as much mm -hmm. and actually viewing real, actual, living, breathing women with and men with a pulse temperature, mm -hmm. you know, so they're, it's going online, like a lot of things like, mm -hmm. like shopping and everything else. Porn has gone online and, oh, and yeah. virtual reality has really hit the internet like, uh, like a hurricane. So that's basically what your award-winning porn stars. I mean, I just get, don't get any, just any <laughs> porn stars in here. So it's the award-winning porn stars. So tell me a little bit about this career first, if you don't mind, because I did miss that booth on career day, I have to say. So never thought of it. So what made you think, Sam, uh, to be a, a porn star? I love this story. I... I spent so much of my life uh, as an ugly duckling, and I just really wanted to be that pretty girl that got looked at. And uh, my friends always had like that third page girl, the center fold pinned up in their lockers or in the workshops. And I was like, why does anyone want my picture? And it's something I always kind of wanted to do. And finally, one day, I was just at my breaking point, and I was working out. I had lost 100 pounds, and I was like, I'm going to take a pole dancing class. 
I'm going to do it for me. And I took a pole dancing class and the boss hired me on the spot. I was really strong from you know, carrying all around all that weight all those years. And uh, I started stripping and I was like, oh, my gosh, people like me. I was pretty all along. What the heck? And it was such a I, I felt so strong and so confident, like I conquer the world. So I started as a stripper. And then I was like, you know, why does everyone give porn such a bad rap when we sell a fantasy and they sell a fantasy? Um, and I had started off in acting and in musical theater. And I was like, I want to do more. I want to, if you're going to call me the bad girl, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you what a bad girl is. I'm going to be the bad girl. And so mm-hmm. I was dating a woman who's known as Mistress T and she was lovely. And she's a very well-known dominatrix and worldwide. And she was like, yeah, you should start filming with me. So I started doing fetish porn, which was just like, oh, my socks and my shoes are so sweaty. Look at my feet. And you'd wrinkle your soles and you'd spread your toes and and that was doing well for me. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm not a porn star. I'm a good girl. I don't do the bad stuff. I just, you know, just do fetishes. And then finally one day I looked at her bank account and I was like, oh, I should do the bad stuff. Okay. So it's a, it's a fairly lucrative <laughs> career then. It, it does. It does well. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good place to be. Okay. So uh, you mentioned weight. And, yeah. you know, that's something that I deal with a lot with my clients in my clinical practice because they, they feel, in fact, I was speaking to, uh, I do Skype consults and I was speaking to somebody uh, on Friday and she was saying that she doesn't like her husband to touch her stomach because mm. she's got 10 or 15 pounds extra in her stomach. And, you know, 84% of women in midlife, so kind of between the ages of, uh, you know, 40 and 60, have an issue around their stomach. They don't like what their stomach looks like. So so it's interesting that you uh, felt a lot sexier, a lot more sensual when you dropped the weight. I Gave did, you confidence you know as what? well. I'm actually, I mean, don't tell anyone. This is just between you and me, right? Absolutely. So I am the same weight now as I was when I first started losing weight. So I've gained back all that 100 pounds. Right. And I am, uh, I'm doing better now than I ever have. I have but more awards under my title. I feel sexier. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's the weight. This particular woman had this issue with her weight, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that um, only thin women feel sensual or sexual. It just it's just an issue for a lot of women. Body yeah. image is an issue, and, and so you've probably obviously built up your confidence, yeah. feeling better about yourself. Oh, I've, and I, I've, it took me. I had to lose hundred pounds in the beginning to feel good, and as I mean, I've I'm online at one hundred and forty pounds, and I'm online at two hundred and forty pounds, and yeah. both girls are worshipped and adored. And it took me. I mean, it it was a big journey being naked on the internet when you're not comfortable with yourself and you're oh trying to push a product because you've got videos coming in, you got a supply right. and demand. Tell and me about it. I know exactly what you're talking about. No uh, <laughs> shreds. Yes. Let's get to you. So, what made you think? Are your parents proud? No. Uh, <laughs> What made um, you consider porn star? Uh, both parents are actually uh, porn stars. Very proud. Oh, yeah. oh no! I the, thought you were going to say your both your parents uh, were porn stars. No, oh, no. that'd be that'd be one heck of an upbringing, that's for sure. <laughs> sure, what? Talk about dysfunction. <laughs> um, originally, I wasn't supposed to be in. It wasn't something that I really had in mind. If you would have asked me this three years ago, I would have said, <laughs> uh, "I don't think so." Right. Um, but was that um, when you were in medical school? When I was in medical school, medical school, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Me and Sam ended up getting together, and uh, we ended up getting pregnant. And I was going to be a stay-at-home daddy. And instead of going out to get a real job, I needed a job that I'd be able to stay home at. And this career seemed to suit it pretty well. Okay, so. excellent. So, so you're together. You're yeah. partnered, yes. and um, and so in porn, uh, you know, the it's not all acting, and and there is real 
uh, life happening, even in the virtual reality, and that's sure just is. really grown in the last three years. How do you keep yourselves safe from, from a sexual health perspective? Um, we're actually tested quite vigorously um, before any any scene. Uh, you you have to be tested, uh, and you have to have clean papers showing. And if you don't, then you don't get to shoot. I literally have my paperwork in my wallet yeah. with me. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So every two weeks, we go through either talent testing or an equivalent program. Okay. Um, yeah, many places have databases where all talent is registered. So mm-hmm. if I'm working with you on a scene, I could look up your information and it would tell me uh, what your results are. And right. if I'm comfortable working with you and you're comfortable working with me, then we continue. And that's every two weeks. So how do you deal with feelings of jealousy or, or envy? There is none. There are no, no. There, there's no nope. feelings of en- envy. You don't think, oh, what if I lose her to him? Or what if I lose It never happened. Him, him <laughs> to him? That's confidence. There it is. So it's a lot of acting. Like it, it really, it's really it's, a lot it's of not acting. just the acting. Like it's an act. It's a it's a job. You come in, come into work, but it's you got to be physical, uh, sexual, uh, attractive. You know, um, it's just it it comes with the territory. If you're if you're a jealous type of person, then maybe the adult industry is not for it's you. Not for you. Yeah. You, you know. And and how about your child? How how will you? And you probably will have more children, perhaps. And how will you? <laughs> Um, unfortunately, no. Uh, we we lost our child. Uh, he was oh. born too soon. Oh, I'm so and, sorry. <laughs> yes, but it's oh, all part I'm of the story. So, so but uh, yeah, oh, I'm no. really sorry yeah, about so. that. But you plan to have more children? Um, we would like to, but it's probably <laughs> only through adoption. Okay, so um, so that will be um, that may pose a little bit of a problem with the adoption agencies. Do you yeah. think? We have the stay-at-home mom (laughs) and the lawyer dad here on, you know, Suburbia Street. And we have... The porn stars over here, yeah. you know, it's, living it's like, in a mansion though, where they are, <laughs> they happen to be in West Van. Hey, we got <laughs> a on the water. Big issue that I've looked into, and what's that? I've looked into adoption, and because uh, Shreds is a former cancer survivor, so we didn't know how good his sperm was. Okay, and I had all sorts of difficulties, and so something we had looked into is adoption and what that possibility would be. And ironically, the first yeah. thing they said was, "We'd like to put a teenaged Indo-Canadian girl." Uh, in your care because that would be a good match for you but I wouldn't be able to adopt a baby and the uh, the government's uh, organizations that we talked to were like this is your option and I'm like that's kind of racist don't you think to say this type of or person can be with you more so, more so prejudice than well <laughs> you know it's um, I think it's it's really about uh, getting to know people and who they are yeah. and you know the, the opportunity for them regardless of the uh, jobs people hold yeah. you know, people can be good parents so I know you're bringing this virtual reality porn to Vancouver um, so yeah virtual reality is, is amazing and we uh, have worked really closely with Hollow Girls over the past three years mm-hmm. they won awards we won last year at AVN's for best sex scene and uh, best VR studio well, we're going back down to Expos and AVN's uh, we've got multiple nominations Shreds has three nominations for best sex scene this year and wow. yay go me wow. <laughs> and it's only the second year <laughs> that the uh, the AVN's and Expos and other adult organizations have recognized virtual reality pornography as a format for pornography so this is the second oh, year that we're being recognized. Oh, that's fantastic. Really cool. It's, well, it's very cool. Well, congratulations. Yeah. So what we're doing in Vancouver great. is we're trying to create uh, more work for, for men and women out here and trans performers as well, mm-hmm. uh, both gay and straight and everything else you can imagine under the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, because most of the work is in the States. 
And right. why does L.A. get to be so darn sexy? L.A. and Vegas. It's all it's all L.A., Vegas, or over in Florida. You know what I mean? Miami right. and stuff. So let's. So Vancouver is sexy. You heard it here it on the sure Sunday is. Night Vancouver Sex is Show. Vancouver is beautiful. Yes. There uh, are some beautiful people here. Well, so there are, including the two of you. Thank you okay. so much for coming into the studio. Really appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks Congratulations so much. on your awards. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on CKNW. Well, welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I want to tell you a couple of stories because I I like to share stories because it may one of them may resonate with you. So I have a young couple uh, that I've been actually seeing over Skype, and they have a couple of kids, and he wants more, lo and behold, and she doesn't. But they have a big issue in between them, and that is low sexual desire, and that is her low sexual desire. And and so he continues to make advances and he gets incredibly frustrated and he's feeling lonely and he's actually thinking about going outside of the relationship. He's mindful of that and he doesn't want to do that. He loves his wife and he loves his family and he wants more children. He grew up in a large family and he wanted at least three, if not four, but they have actually been inactive sexually for a number of years now. And it's taken them, so I think it's about three years and it's taken them a long time and it actually the frequency started to decrease in the first year so it's actually probably around four years because their youngest child is about six years old so the frequency decreased and then it's really been no sex for about four years and that's not that uncommon I remember when I first started working in the field of sexual health doing sexual health research at the BC Center for Sexual Medicine and I would uh, enroll women into a particular clinical trial around HSDD or hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And I was really surprised that so many women said the exact same thing. You've probably heard me say this on the program in the past. When I would ask them how long it had been that they had not had sex with their husbands, they would have said, you know, two years, five years, three years. It didn't matter how many years or months. They did. They all had this in common. They said, but my husband is patient. I thought, where are all these patient husbands? <laughs> Who are these people? Because that just didn't align with the literature and with the research that is out there and certainly with the anecdotal stories. So eventually the research continued and in other avenues of um, sexual health and, and there were male sexual health research studies where there was no sex in a marriage. And of course the men you know, had not been patient and they had actually become addicted to porn or they were chronic masturbators or they engaged in infidelity. They went outside of the relationship. So this particular couple, um, he told his side of the story, if you will, uh, and his frustrations and, and what he desired and what he wanted. And then I, and I spoke with her and often I speak with the uh, two people separately on separate occasions. And so when I spoke to her, she really was not um, highly educated about the female sexual response cycle. And, and she basically just said, I, I just I just don't have any energy. And, and she was depleted. She worked, had a full-time job, and she was actually a counselor. So that's a, a service job. You're giving of your emotions. It's depleting. She was also get, had a personal trainer, and so she was working out excessively. She was very unhappy with her body image, and she had extra weight on her. And and she actually thought she had about 10 or 15 pounds on her. But she, when she weighed herself, she actually had 25 pounds on her. And her frame was, was a small frame, a medium frame. And, and she was about 5'7". So that's a lot of weight. 
she she weighed about 165, you know, 170. And so that's a lot for somebody 5'7 with a small frame. So uh, when I spoke to her about that, the, the expectation wasn't for her after several years of marriage, wasn't that desire was going to come first. I talked to her about responsive desire. If you don't feel like having sex with your partner, your husband, whatever, or your wife even, you know, there's something to be said for just do it, taking a page out of Nike's book. And if you enjoy it, um, but this woman couldn't even enjoy it because she was so depleted, so tired. The other thing was that the children were waking them up. One was five and the other was seven. And the children were waking up repeatedly throughout the night and coming into the parents' bed. Something else on top of that was that the none of, nobody was sleeping in their own beds. So the mother would be awakened in the middle of the night after she'd gone to sleep. She would go into the child's bed, bring the child back to the bed, sleep there with her. The father had already gotten out of the bed like a year ago because he apparently moves a lot in bed and the wife was a light sleeper. So he's sleeping in the guest room. So nobody's actually sleeping. There's no sleep hygiene happening in this house. And, and also she was doing a lot more of the chores. Now she said he was cooking and I said, that's great. Who was cleaning? She said she was. And you know, he was using 10 pots <laughs> to, to cook with and, and often chefs do. People love to cook. And, but you know, she was doing the housework. She was doing laundry. She was paying the bills. She had the added, you know, women have this added burden on their shoulders, on their mind. Even when they leave the house, they still have it. What have I got to do? And he said, she's always three steps ahead, of course, because you've got to be organized and you've got to be, you've got to be motivated and you've got to, you've got so much to do that by the end of the day, when you flop in bed, you're absolutely exhausted. And when it's the first time you've had a minute to yourself and I advise her to take an hour to herself to do nothing every day. And I recommend that for women the world over. We need to do that. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is have sex. So just understanding your situation will help you in the bedroom. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday night sex show on CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We are in the final strokes of the program. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It's always my pleasure to be here with you. Um, I was interested in some work that I'd heard about going on in the interior. Susan Kearney is passionate about ceremonies and rituals of all kinds. As the number of Canadians affiliated with religious organization is in steady decline, there is a growing need for us to mark important transitions in our lives through alternative ceremonies. Susan is a certified life cycle celebrant, and I asked Susan to join me on the program tonight because I was particularly interested in divorce ceremonies. Good evening, Susan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Maureen? I'm fine, thank you. So this is very important work that you're doing at Holistic Hive, uh, Earth to Sky ceremonies you're having, because they encompass the, the life cycle and the transitions that we have throughout life and the changes. And one of the things that I find, especially with the patients in my clinical practice, is when a marriage breaks down, when a, when a relationship breaks up, there often seems to be anger. Sometimes people just obliterate somebody from their life. And I was struck mostly recently by this when I read the obituary of somebody who had been married to someone for 20 years, but then partnered with somebody else for six months. And in this particular obituary, all of the credit, all of the love was given to this new partner of six months. And it was as though the partner of 20 years had never even existed. And I thought, 
I'd heard about your divorce ceremonies, and I thought, wow, something like a divorce ceremony may have helped them on their pathway to process the obvious pain in their life and relationship. Yeah, I think that's very true. A divorce ceremony can be a real chance for healing and forgiveness of yourself and also of your partner, just acknowledging that you both did the best that you could do in that situation. So tell me a little bit about a divorce ceremony. What does it look like? Um, you know, are the, is it gaining popularity? What happens? I mean, I in my imagination, I view it like the unwedding, you know, kind of the reversal of the wedding, where you put the wedding bands on, you take the wedding bands off, <laughs> kind of a thing. Totally. Yeah, and that is actually one type of divorce ceremony. So one type would involve both partners. And like you said, it kind of is a reverse wedding. So you might undo the vows that you've said. People may enter carrying a cord, which is actually cut. So representing cutting those emotional ties. And partners may say, or ex-partners, I should say, may say new vows to each other. Vows about moving forward in a positive way. But actually, the most common type of divorce ceremony is initiated by just one of the partners, and often they don't invite the ex-partner. Instead, they invite really close friends and family. And what happens in this type of ceremony is it's basically a chance to acknowledge this huge, really painful experience that they've gone through and come out the other side. So friends come up, they speak to the strength that their friend has shown on this journey. There's often ritual elements. So the person may light candles for forgiveness, blow out a candle to release the relationship and light some new candles to acknowledge stepping into their new life. Often claiming back the woman's maiden name can be a really empowering step and hearing her friends and family repeat it back to her. People often put on new rings or jewelry at this time too to symbolize that new life and then sharing hopes and wishes for the future, and then ending on a positive note. So a toast, music, food, a party. Very interesting. I mean, I, I you know, I'll be honest, full disclosure here, I've actually had a divorce party, not a ceremony, <laughs> a party yeah. for a friend. And, and one of the most hurtful things in her marriage or in her divorce was this particular chandelier that had um, had sentimental value for her. And he ended up with it. Mind you, he ended up with the house, you know, which was worth a lot then and, and a whole lot more now. Um, and but but this particular chandelier had sentimental value. So we recreated a chandelier out of, you know, coat hangers and and put all sorts of vibrators and things, of course, because I was designing it. Um, but, uh, you know, we had a blast with it. But it was important to recognize she had been through so much and she was in so much pain. And and we had all supported her through that. And, and so it was kind of a relief. But, you know, my my issue with it and that that couple still uh, they don't speak to each other today. They're 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 not um, civil. Maybe only only because you know two or three years have gone by. Um, just enough for the house that he got to double in value. No, I'm kidding. Um, but oh. uh, <laughs> the um, you know they they were not able to move past the pain of their divorce, and that affects the children. And that's what I see so much. You know, marriage is about you, you. A couple has to remember to put themselves first, but in divorce, you have to put your children first. And so, when you cannot process the pain, resolve the conflict, forgive, because forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself, and move on. So that's 
that's the spirit in which I would love to see the divorce ceremony. So I'm, I'm just curious, like I'm, I'm certain that they, they heal, but it doesn't involve the partner and, and, or the ex-partner, ex-husband, ex-wife, whatever. But there was so much together. They may have had children together. They may have built a home together. They may have, you know, traveled together. They may have gone through sickness together and, and that, that the split can be so acrimonious and, um, you know, so damaging to a person's health, it can impact your immune system once you don't get past whatever had gone wrong, if you will, in the relationship. Yeah, it's very true. And it's not to say that a divorce ceremony can't involve an ex-partner. It's basically just what people are coming forward seeking. Of course. And, you know, and sometimes it's great. Both of them are on the same page and want to do that together. But more often, it's one person feeling the need. But I feel like there's so much healing that you can do on your own end. Like if you are able to gather with the close people in your life and Mm -hmm. feel that forgiveness and do those ritual elements to help you move on, that is going to impact your relationship moving forward with that ex-partner and how you guys continue to work with kids as well. Exactly. And and I do feel that it, you know, forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. And, and so perhaps I, I have a, a, a couple, let's, shall we say, in my clinical practice. I'm basically just seeing the woman, but uh, in the practice. But, you know, her ex-husband is just, is just you know, I, I just think, how can even, does he stay up at night to think about being this mean? I mean, is that what it is? And, and she's just a very gentle soul, you know, a spark, a, a live wire, a very loving person. And, and you know, she's very hurt, um, but she, you know, just wants the divorce to be over with, you know, to get over that and start on her, her new life. And, and so I can see that as, a, as an approach to be forgiving and to be as loving as you can to your ex, regardless of how awful they are to you, except, of course, physical abuse and, and emotional abuse. But, but still, you know, there's, it's their problem, you know, separating back. And, and, and I'm, I'm certain these divorce ceremonies help with this as well. But, but setting back and saying, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm on a new pathway, those are their or the ex's issues. And I'm going to still be a loving person toward that person. Do you, is that part of the divorce ceremonies? Definitely. And I think you said it really well. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself, right? So yeah, no matter how terrible they may be acting, um, yeah, forgiveness is ultimately going to help you. And yeah, that ceremony will help you move forward. Yes. And many people just can't deal with the pain of divorce. And, um, you know, they have, they hold on to this anger and they, and they think that it's benefiting them, but, you know, they'll have more respect from their ex from their children, you know, in this particular woman, her ex-husband was married before. And I said, have you spoken to his ex-wife? Because I often think that the ex-wives club is real <laughs> and they would yeah. all get together and, you know, the, you know, um, people don't change, you know, that much. And especially if they marry, you know, they seem to have the same patterns of behavior, especially if they don't get any help. And, and she said, no, she doesn't live in the country anymore. You know, and she said, I always had a sense that she ran away as far as she possibly could. Mm. Yeah, so I, I really feel like your divorce ceremonies are, are such a, a ther- have so much potential to be so therapeutic for couples who have lost their way or have not been able to resolve conflict. And every marriage has, 
has conflict in it. And you're going to have the same problems in the next one. So, I mean, I think it's great. Obviously, I had a divorce party myself for a friend. and <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, the I think the ceremony is even that much better, that much more spiritual and more of a connection to oneself, you know? Yeah, and I really think, like, our society has so many rituals, like, for all those big life transitions, and especially for getting married, and it feels like we're just really lacking something for divorce. And maybe, like, back when our grandparents were getting married and only 10% of the population experienced divorce, there was less need for a ceremony. But today, in 2018, four out of 10 marriages end in divorce. So there's this real emerging need to acknowledge that. And I think a lot of people, when they get divorced, feel like it's a failure, like, and they can feel really isolated, like it's this huge, painful thing that they're growing through on their own. Right. So a really big benefit of that divorce ceremony, kind of like what you were talking about, um, the what you did for your friend, the party, is bringing those really close people together who love you, who have seen you through this big thing, to stand up and acknowledge this and just say, yeah, this huge thing happened, but you came through it with strength and grace, and you've come out the other side. You're able to see the blessings that has brought you despite all the pain it has caused. You're able to find forgiveness, and you're stepping into this beautiful future. Well, it's wonderful work that you're doing, and I applaud you, and thank you so much, because I actually think there's going to be a side benefit of helping the children of divorced parents. So how can people get in touch with you? So they can find me my website, earthtoskyceremonies.com. They can find me on Facebook. Um, yeah, just Googling Sue Kearney Vernon, BC should turn up all kinds of stuff. For Wonderful. Me. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thanks, Maureen. You're very welcome. So you don't just need a lawyer in divorce. You need a life cycle uh, consultant. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show news uh, here on CKNW. Maureen McGrath, thanks so much for being here with me the whole evening. Just a little special shout out to Bill and Don, <laughs> if you're still listening. Um, anyway, that's a little, I digress. Uh, you know, a lot of people have c- troubles in their relationship and a lot of people have issues and they don't know how to deal with them because really nobody's taught. We're not taught about finances in high school. We're not taught how to deal with conflict. We're not taught how to listen, for example. Uh, So these are important uh, therapeutic ways to help your relationship. And, you know, therapy is also a gift you give to yourself. There's no shame in that. And so I see lots of patients in my clinical practice that have uh, issues in the bedroom. And one of the issues is primary anorgasmia. So there's only about a third of women can experience orgasm through self-stimulation or clitoral stimulation. 70% of women actually require clitoral stimulation for orgasm. So I, I wanted to tell you about the Womanizer, which is the best sex toy out there. It is a clitoral suckling device, hits the spot and stays there. So there's none of this guesswork that uh, has to be done with another human. So if you're, if you're on your own, uh, you're alone or, or, you know, you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't self-stimulate or, or love yourself. Find some time to yourself, a little afternoon delight. 
uh, even whether you're in a partnership or not. And you can also, even if you're in a partnership, you know, bringing a womanizer into the bedroom with you is also incredibly helpful. Vaginal health is important as well. And uh, I, there, you, so a lot of women get vaginal dryness, especially in the midlife years. And uh, and so Fem is a great product, P-H-E-M-M-E. And what I like about it is it is a personal moisturizer. It's hormone-free. It's over-the-counter. Uh, but it's preloaded. It's a preloaded syringe. A lot of them you're supposed to use your fingers and that's not uh, hygienic. And also there's a plunger, you know, and so you're pulling it into the plunger and you have to watch the plunger. But this one is, it's it's very inexpensive uh, or it's cost effective, I should say, and uh, less expensive than most of them. And it's uh, insertable. And uh, so... Uh, personal moisturizer is really important and, and it lessens your need for lubricants, so which can be messy and smelly and anyway, take the sexiness out of it. But uh, I want to tell you about a, a phone call that I got. Uh, a gentleman from Arizona, I think he was, called me as I was driving to my guitar lesson. <laughs> and so I said to him on Bluetooth, of course, hands-free, um, I, I said, well, I do Skype consults. And, and he, and you know what he said to me? He said he had tried a, he had, had erectile dysfunction I should tell you that part first and he was in his 70s and he said that he had tried a lot of natural products and any kind of named them all and and none of them worked which is no surprise to me because none of them have been clinically tested so really those are not the things that are going to work so I said well you know I do Skype consults but he said he couldn't afford um, the Skype consults and and fair enough and I said you know no problem I'll answer your questions if you can't afford my services no problem I will provide them still because I I am passionate about this so I said but as long as you let me say to you you've wasted all this money on these natural products and and but yet you're not you know you have chosen not to and, and mind you he came upon me later than that and I realized that but it was a little bit of a joke uh, and but he said he had gotten the natural products for free so anyway none Nonetheless, so he said that he had erectile dysfunction. And so, you know, I just start out, I'm literally like eight minutes from my guitar lesson. And uh, so I ask him what medications he's on and how tall he is and how much he weighs. That's the most important. So he said 205. And I and I didn't even have to ask him his height because I knew he'd probably be around 5'9 or 5'10. He was about 5'8 or 5'9. And I said, you know, you're, you're too heavy. That's one thing. And tell me about your diet. And his diet was high in sugar. And so I told him about uh, the all-in diet, which I recommend for people, which is high protein, low glycemic index, and so uh, also exercising. And so the one thing he said to me was, um, you know, well, he exercised, and but his cardiologist, another tip there that things aren't going too well with his heart, he'd had, had bypass surgery, um, but he said his cardiologist didn't agree with his type of exercise. I said, well, what is your exercise? He said he, he's a janitor in a supermarket and he pushes a broom around. And I'm like, well, I agree with your cardiologist. That is not exercise. You're not getting your heart rate up. You're not um, moving about. You're not um, focused on the exercise versus the job. So, you know, there's certain things like working or like running around the house doing errands. Those aren't exercise. Golf isn't really exercise, and a lot of golfers out there will be upset with me saying that. But it was interesting um, that uh, there's a new study that I saw in the Journal of Sexual Medicine recently, and so there may be a new gel that you can also, in addition to losing weight and making sure your blood pressure is okay and looking at your medications and seeing what side effects and eating properly, but this new gel 
Um, you might be able to rub this on your penis to give you the boost that you need. And so the study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine involved 232 men with erectile dysfunction. They participated in two separate four-week trials. In one, they used the new topical gel, which is called Med 2005, and it contains glycerol trinitrate or nitroglycerin, which is what we give for patients who are having chest pain. And so it's a vasodilator. It helps with blood flow. And then the others used a placebo gel, and they found that nearly one in four men reported a significant improvement in their sexual functioning score. And questionnaires including measures like confidence, getting and keeping an erection, hardness of erection, and satisfying with sex as well, compared to just 14% of the men who use the placebo gel. So there's hope coming down the aisle. Uh, it may be that uh, um, just rubbing the penis uh, was also helpful. Rubbing the tip of the penis could have been helpful in stimulating the blood flow. So a little bit more work needs to be done, but um, a lot noticed uh, an erection within 10 minutes and, and 44% noticed an erection in five minutes. So so it's important that we look at this, that we do research around it, and that there are there is help for you, I, I should say. So I uh, just wanted to, so I think I've talked him into not only listening to the show, <laughs> but uh, also changing his lifestyle a little bit, and I'll be sending him the diet. But, you know, in your relationship, there may be problems, and we're running out of time, which is unfortunate, but I just want to review a few things. If you're doing any of these things, you know what? It's going to have a negative impact. Therapy is a whole lot better. Uh, eye rolling, number one, seems subtle, but it is a gesture that actually means you are really annoyed uh, you, it conveys contempt in the relationship, giving the silent treatment. You know, I'm somebody who wants to work it out, who wants to talk about it, process it, deal with it. The silent treatment is just not in my books. And it's actually a control issue and a power issue. Choosing to ignore your partner is anything but healthy. And then literally being silent, you know, are you okay? Fine. Nothing, anything wrong? No. You know, so that's not helpful either. Letting yourself go. It's really important that you actually keep yourself in great condition. Anyway, next week we're going to have to finish up with those. But thanks so much, Andrew. You've done bang up job tonight. Of course, as you do every Sunday night, remember when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on CKNW. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at CKNW.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.